Drop in the untold stories of industry leaders, influencers, and insights on future innovation. I'm John Davidson, and this is the DLC DLC Drop Drop Podcast. Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the DLC Drop Podcast. It is my pleasure to introduce my friend Daniel Herz, CRO of Mission Control. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. This is fun. This is fun. This is one of many conversations that we've had. Possibly the first that's recorded, I want to say. Uh, we've done a little camera work recently for yes. SMU. But True. We've been spending a lot of time together building out some fun projects and, and working together now and over the years. But this we is have. probably the first real time send down and recording some the most of def- first time with a two camera setup yeah. and the two microphones <laughs> now we're professional and the ferns there's two ferns there's absolutely this is a- definitely the first time we've had a recording with ferns involved yes yes on the record uh, yeah i think so on yeah. the record so one thing i love to start with with friends who i have on the podcast is how we first met and what i love to share is my version of it okay and then what your version was Fair. All right. I'll fact check you. Great. So going back, geez, let's see, four years ago now? Three, three and a half probably, yeah. Yeah. So I was at GameStop and I was tasked with figuring out the esports strategy. And then looking through all the different possible avenues, leagues, teams, publishers, peripheral companies. And I see a news release. Jerry Jones buys Complexity Gaming. Yeah. Oh, that's in the neighborhood. And how long after that was were you hired? So the acquisition and announcement, everything came kind of November, December. And then I came down full time around March. Yeah. And I think, not to ruin your story, but you had met with Jason Lake previous to me coming down. And one of yep. the first things he said was like, you need to meet with John Davidson at GameStop. They don't have any money, but they're here locally. <laughs> so you should meet with him and then... Right. The next steps happen. So we go to, what was the name of that pizza place? Greatest Pizza in Frisco. I, I know. I was trying to think of it. Starts with a P. Uh, pizzeria something? Yeah. It's, I can picture it. I can show you exactly where we sat. I know where it is. It's it's near the Cinemark. It was really good. On the square. Who? Someone recommended it to you. That's right. It was, oh, Tim Hayden. From no. Stadia. Or was it Chris Diapolino? I thought you had mm. just met with Infinite Esports Entertainment or you had just met with like that group. Oh, I, yes. And they said, you need to go there. Uh-huh. And then you dragged me there, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. They yeah. didn't take you there, but you dragged me there. Well, I mean, dragged, I think it was a little <laughs> bit more of a doing you a favor with how Yeah, you're not us. wrong. So we met and we're like, oh, we're the same height. Yeah, perfect. We see eye to eye, at least on one thing. That's the first check. And then we just had a great time. Pizza, drinks, all the things. And I think from my perspective, I was like, okay, great. I met a guy who knows a lot about esports. He's local here. I don't have any money and he needs money for his partnership. So probably nothing going to happen here. Yeah. But I think, and this is a little bit of what we'll get into a little later, but is the importance of developing the personal relationships. But so I'm just curious and we've, I don't think ever really talked about this, but is from your perspective, that meeting in post up until the famous text message, which we'll get to. Yeah. Or infamous, depending on how you look at it. But what was your perspective of that whole situation? Yeah, I, I think, well, so there's two pieces. One is great pizza. 
And it was a really nice conversation. I was like, uh, similar feelings. Like he knows what he's talking about. This is someone, and, and I was relatively new to Dallas. So before I came down in March, I was living in New York, had a network up there. Right. So I was like, I need to establish a network down here. And John seemed to be connected with everyone, which turns out he was. And I saw this was a great piece of the esports network here. So I, was, I, I knew there was value in the relationship. Yeah. But then too, I was like, and you were pretty upfront. I was like, GameStop has no esports strategy. They have no dollars for this. They're, they haven't done anything. Yeah. And they're not thinking about it in a way that would make sense to involve complexity. Like right. You were getting scrappy and doing some things. I think the Halo partnership was close to that or a little bit later, but it was like yeah. relatively free helping people out and, and community. Yeah. And so I was like, from my perspective, I was like, I don't really know what's going to be here. Again, I think there's a great connection. I think we stayed close talking and then there's a few other intersections of like our careers before the infamous tax. Yes. But I walked away and I think I met with Jason next day. I was like, yeah, it was great meal. Really nice guy. Had a fun time. Nothing there. And that's the way I was progressing. I was like, yeah, there's nothing there. So again, there's value in GameStop beyond monetary and, and would there be an opportunity there potentially down the road at some point? And so in the midst of this, I remember an article came out with an interview with Travis Goff. Okay. And I'm always interested in meeting successful people because I just love to be around them and observe what is this person like? What can I glean from them to add to what I'm doing to be successful? Because I just, I love watching just interviews of successful people on YouTube because sure. there's something about this person that has gotten them to the place where they're at. So I reached out to Travis and I was like, hey, would love to, I think, the thing was, oh, here's the connection. My first esports tournament that I went to in Dallas was the CSGO tournament at Verizon Theater, theater. or Arena, yep, whatever Verizon they call theater. it. Yeah. And uh, that's where his dad, John Goff, got it. Correct. With esports because yeah. he felt the energy in the building. So we had that connection. And um, I was also really wondering what is the son of a billionaire? You know, I mean, <laughs> who knows? Yeah. And, He's let's meet at Panera in Arlington and blah, blah, blah. And I was just blown away by him just being like a super nice, normal dude. Yeah. And what he shared with me was the plans for the GameStop Performance Center. And his idea was to build a store underneath it, which was, yeah. a lot of people don't know that was one of the things that we were looking we were at hoping doing, to do, hoping yeah. to do. It makes a lot of sense. I think GameStop's perspective was we have three of them a few blocks away and it's, yeah. well, let's think of it a bit a little bit broader. Totally. But when I saw that's what first got in my mind. And then thank God for Frank Hamlin at GameStop. My goodness. He came in and CMO and he was able to get us dollars for our strategy and everything. But the infamous text that we've mentioned a few times here was uh, GameStop used to sponsor NASCAR. And the the strategy from the C-suite was, okay, let's get out of this relationship just because it's not the right market. Right. Joe Gibbs Racing was a tremendous partner. I got to go to a partnership summit and it was play top golf with Denny Hamlin and Joe Gibbs, which is like how'd that go? Mountaintop experience. I've <laughs> recently got a little better okay. at golf. My friend Mike Kilpatrick is a golf pro. Nice. And he gave me, dude, just like you just you just whoop with your wrist and it's changed my life. Yeah. But this was before my life was changed from a golf perspective. Okay. Now, this doesn't mean I'm any good at golf. This just means like I can hit farther than the green one at yeah. Top Golf, which hey, makes me feel good. Baby steps. Absolutely. Yeah, I was 
in the cafe at GameStop talking with my boss. And she says, we need to figure out this, a new oppor- partnership opportunity. And what GameStop had done with NASCAR, they would sell their partnership to vendors and they would actually force it on vendors. So everybody every year got the NASCAR conversation of, okay, Microsoft, you're going to do a wrap. That's a, a Microsoft NASCAR and nobody wanted to do it, but they had to the thing. And they said, we need to be in a situation where we can resell things within this partnership. And I was like, and we have money for it. <laughs> I'll be right back. And I wish we had this text because neither of us have it. I know. But I think I texted you something like, your moment is now. <laughs> yeah, this is your opportunity or yeah. something along those lines. And I was like, and I, I don't even thought, think I believed it or believed it to the scale of what we thought. I thought you were going to be like, oh yeah, we've got a small budget and we're going to test some. You can do a video. And I'm like, cool. But obviously it turned out to be a lot more than that and, and true piece of it. But it was interesting to say, what are those pass-through opportunities? And again, something we're even working on, like the class we're working on is like, what is the value of the partnership? Yeah. And understanding that ROI and success and for GameStop, it wasn't just how do we build our brand, but how do we extend this partnership to the other verticals of our business where we can find value, right? right. If it's sales, if it's publishers, if it's distributors, like whatever that might be, even something that was interesting, I know from our conversation was like HyperX was a partner of Complexity at the time. Yes. And there was just a ton of synergy to build out even just hospitality options that we could pull in with the Cowboys that were interesting to both groups to say, how do we leverage this as a larger ecosystem play? Again, it's not a, I'm putting my brand on a building, which it turned out to be it was the naming rights of the Performance Center, but it right. became a tentpole of assets and opportunities that could then extend into other groups and yep. other unique opportunities using AT&T Stadium for an activation, going mm-hmm. to a game, building out content, pass-through rights for partners into content and things like that, and using the Performance Center, what Travis showed you at the Ryzen Theater, to be that tent pole that can extend physically and digitally for both brands. Yeah, I love the analogy in business of you plant an apple tree and you grow it, and then you make applesauce, apple jam, apple juice, etc. And what I always said about complexity is they've got a hell of an apple tree. (laughs) (laughs) And there's all these things to build out around it. And I'm super proud of the partnership that we did there because people say, oh, naming rights. And GameStop never had, we always said our name's never going to be on the side of a building because we've got names on 3,700 billions across the US. But when you looked at, I did a a great panel. I was on a panel in Nashville around the NFL draft with Jason and Wendy LeCott yeah. from HyperX. It was such a great story of team, peripheral brand, and retailer who sold the peripheral brand was partnered with the team. And that synergy was incredible. Totally. And then I, I think we're just able to do so many things with the all the assets that you guys had because we had the Tostitas Plaza where you could do something mm-hmm. which is an amazing place. You had the Ford Center 12,000 capacity indoor stadium, which GameStop was thinking, hey, our manager's conference that we pay a crap ton of money to a hotel and flying everybody out, we could save money if we just have it (laughs) in this thing. Put it right through here. And then you had uh, title releases, the opportunities Mm -hmm. of those. And then my biggest thing was I have these five pillars of ways to add value to the esports ecosystem, which you've heard a million times on all my podcast appearances, which you watch. Everyone. Repeatedly. Yeah. Yeah. So I fall asleep too. Great. 
It's what I wake up to. Oh, so even better. But unique experience is a big one for me because we know young people value experiences more than owning yep. products. I was like, I always say GameStop, this was your opportunity to survive is love for your brand. Right. Because a lot of what they focus on is convenience because they have, I think the stat was a GameStop store and is an eight minute drive within 90% of the population. It's crazy. But they're actually the least convenient option to purchase the game because obviously the dash, sure, downloading your console, your PC, Amazon, mm-hmm. or, and what they've experienced during the pandemic, these essential stores, when mom's at getting milk at Walmart or Target, they can pick up a game too. And so I was trying to express to the leadership there, you're actually the least convenient option. And the only way that you win this war is if people love you. Yeah. And if the conversation is, hey, why are you, where are you going to go buy Call of Duty this year? Oh, I'm going to GameStop. Why? Dude, those guys are awesome. Like, I got to go to the game release at right. the GameStop Performance Center and blah, blah, blah. Got to meet Scump, whatever. Obviously, he's not with complexity. It's a little strange, but, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't have all the complexity players memorized. Forgive me. But that's how you win it. And I know that right. through skateboarding because... Skateboarders are not big fans of Zoomies and PacSun and these mall stores because they take all the money out of skateboarding culture from uh, mom and pop skate shops. Yeah. So I will drive further, pay a little more to support a local skate shop because I love the culture in the community. Sure. And understand that I think that's important in gaming as well. And I think the piece of it, right, it just comes back to adding value, which I yeah. know it can beat down all over the place, but that's what a true partnership looks like. And and you go back to something like to go way back to even when you had no dollars and yeah. you're helping some like Tox, who is a bunch of professional esports players in Halo who got dropped from a team, couldn't play in their events. Right before their repeat attempt. Right before yeah. the biggest event of their lives. Yeah. You go and you support that community, right? You support the whole Halo community by doing this one act. And that's the whole idea. Like how do you support the community and your end users and give them value. And I think there's a thousand ways you can do that across so many different opportunities and it's finding what's right for your brand and the right opportunity that's in front of you. But again, like that's what you and I have both always built our partnership around is what is that value? A direct to sale opportunity because there's better avenues for that. A partnership's not going to be your avenue you go for that. It's what is that long-term value that you can add that's going to create a longer and larger effect on, on kind of the growth and, and opportunity. And I think right. putting your head around that in esports has been extremely important and it's been really hard for brands, right? Especially brands that are thinking at the end of the day, I only care about sales, right? Yes. Like I only care about people signing up for this or buying our service or whatever oh. it is. And there's ways to do that. There, there truly are. But at the same time, if you're not adding value with the consumer today and the educated consumer that is in esports or in video games, you're missing the mark. Yeah, I had a call with, I have a lot of calls with brands and calls with agencies and stuff. I was talking to an agency uh, a few months ago and they were talking to an insurance company. Yeah. And the insurance company's core KPI, one and only, was was entering claims into the, or inquiries into the site. And I was talking to the agency guy who had these people ready to sell. And I was like, dude, don't do this deal. It hurts everybody. Like, I know like you've got the money basically in your bank account. You just need to hit the accept button. But 
this won't work. Number one. Now, will it work after they gain loyalty from the community after serving them? 100%. Yeah. But you've approached people saying, you need to do this to be involved with me. They'll be like, who are you? Where Mm -hmm. have you been? Yeah. Yeah. Totally great. We had an interesting partnership with Complexity where we worked with the U.S. Army. Yes. And the military and esports has been an interesting case to look at because it's been very polarizing on on all sides sure. and how they've handled it in each branch and, and what they've done. But for us, what we always pitched to the group, and it was easier because we weren't with the recruiting arm of the army. So it's a different yeah. pitch, but it was about how do we provide opportunities, how do we provide value and tell a cool story. And that's the important part of it. So we built a program where Soldiers met professional esports players and they trained again. They got to compete together and they got to experience a day in the life of each other. And you documented it. And then you document, you tell that story and you show the value to current soldiers. Here's what the opportunity is. It's cool. We're not selling you on sign up to this. You're already a soldier. We're providing value for it. We're making your life as a soldier that you've already, you know, dedicated so much to a better experience. And that Mm -hmm. was really important for us as a brand, even at Complexity, be like, that's what we can rally behind versus hey sign up to join the military and we're going to be a funnel for you it's no but if if someone sees this experience someone sees this content and sees a cool life and that's part of something that helps their decision and makes it an easier decision and maybe that's the the branch they join or whatever it might be sure that's a great side effect of it but our goal isn't to do that it's to create value and create a perspective and a narrative that is beneficial for both sides Yeah, and I think a a big part, there's two like major pillars of this. One is understanding what the community wants. Yeah. And then working with a group, whether it's a team or a league or it's a mix of those things or a content creator who can execute on it and deliver. Yeah. And a lot of people, I think, don't understand what the community wants. Yeah. And one of the things you talk about content, part of our deal, which I don't think enough people saw, unfortunately but was the aspect of we had unique content. We had pro gamers giving deep insights on how to play the game at a higher level. Yeah. Which is, yeah, that's super meaningful because few people understand that pros, like the way they see the the game is so different. Yeah. Like I like to play Street Fighter and there was a FGC guy at GameStop who he, he was like pro. Okay. Like... He worked at GameStop at the headquarters, but he like paid the bills a little bit through. Cool. He played Street Fighter and Tekken and all these others. Soul Calibur. But we were sitting down and he was giving me some tips because I'm terrible at video games. Yeah. And just in 15 minutes, what this dude knew about the game blew my mind about like when you do this move, they fall down, but then jump to the other side of them at this point because they'll stand up facing the other way and you can hit them again without them being able to block it. And I was like, totally. And now that was a thing. So you need to like, and to learn what the community wants, just talk to them, which so many people don't do. But then I think the much, much harder part is working with teams and the right people who can execute on the deliverables. And yeah, I think it's, a, it's a handful of people. The Esports Trade Association, which I'm involved with, the whole goal there is to try to improve the business practices of the esports industry because we're young. You have a lot of just young people doing it who don't have a lot of life experience. Sure. It's not a huge criticism, 
just reality. There's no shortcut for experience. But you also have people from outside of the space who just don't get it. Yeah. So you've got complementary experts who know marketing or partnerships sure. or data, these other things, but there's just a complete block as to understanding anything about gaming. And it's a really unique and interesting situation to be in. Yeah. And the other piece too, just to be honest and frank, is it's a, a gold rush right now. It's yes. People are trying to get as much cash as possible and hold on to it and bring in brands and bring in sponsors and doing stuff. And to your point, there's not a lot of people that will tell that insurance agency that this isn't going to work. They're going to take that check for now, especially in the financial situation that esports is in, where a lot of these groups are fundraising or have raised and they're raising on revenue valuations or brands mm -hmm. or any type of momentum. So for right now, when it's, hey, I just need to survive for the long haul, especially on the team side, it's about, I'm going to take opportunities. If mm -hmm. GameStop's going to give me 100K, I know it's not going to work in a year or two. Desperately. I can still put a multiple on that my next round. Mm -hmm. So there's this opportunity and it's hard to identify the uniqueness across multiple teams it's getting better or multiple opportunities because the data or a lot of these pieces are missing so when someone say complexity for an example won't take it another team might mm -hmm. and there's always that opportunity cost too of okay this might not work if i tell someone it's not going to work i'm going to lose that money and then someone's still going to tell them it's going to work and how do i balance that and i think that's one of the really hard parts with how immature esports is is there just isn't that kind of structure and idea of like how to really make this work. And I, and mm -hmm. the other piece of it is I don't think it's hard, right? Yeah. You like, we always would talk to brands and they'd be like, I just don't understand it. We need to come in so prepared with a strategy and, and things like, yes, you need a strategy. But I always go, if you don't have a strategy for any of your other spends, a sports team, a Super Bowl commercial, what it is like, you're yeah. missing the mark there anyways. You should come in to your point, listen to the consumer, understand what they want, and then just solve a need. Yeah. It's really not a hard equation. And then figure out how to price it appropriately. And again, I think the data is missing. I think the opportunities are confusing. So it's yes. made it a hard ecosystem to do that. But my biggest concern to your point is it's still just a cash grab right now that yeah. groups are going to say yes. They're going to take an insurance agency's money to take the check knowing yeah. they might disappear. But look, I've got that money right now and right. I can do stuff with it or I can raise against it. And I have a board that needs to see progress, right? Mm -hmm. There's always that balance. So I always admire groups that are willing to say no or walk away or yeah. find a story that makes sense for them or a brand that's aligned with them. I think that's the other challenge of it. Yeah. And always a hard piece of it too. Yeah, because there's different position, there's different groups or streamers or teams or what have you that have positioning within the space that's consistent with your brand or isn't. Right. And and so it's it's more than just who can execute, but who's the, who's the right vibe? Who makes sense that if the gamers say, "Oh, Evil Geniuses yeah. is working with this," oh, of course, because Evil Geniuses does have a cool brand and they're super leaning into that whole name of theirs. Sure. Or somebody who's more scrappy and that makes sense or my favorite is obviously optic with uh, turtle wax because of, of the, the luxury cars but it makes sense because they're driving porsches and i think that's the big piece of it and not to get ahead of ourselves but like my biggest issue with esports right now is we've used esports as an umbrella term and yes it's also being used to check a box 
I did yeah. something in esports or I did something in video games and there's not enough value into thinking about what that opportunity is and mm-hmm. how to find that opportunity. When we're comparing statistics and we've done this for years, we used to compare, right? Hey, more people watch League of Legends than the Super Bowl. And sure, we get it and how wrong those numbers are. Yeah. But we're still justifying esports' growth as a group, as an audience versus a traditional sports league versus what esports really is it's a medium it's made up of the nfl the mls the mlb and all these verticals but it's also made up of the ncaa and college athletics it's also made up of recreation like we do at mission control it's made up of all these other groups and subsects that go into this larger esports equation and Mm -hmm. i think we're starting to get to it but i think most brands or I shouldn't say most, but a lot of brands and a lot of opportunities are blurred because of that. Either the data is not yeah. there to really think about, or there's not the thought and strategy, and they're just trying to check a box and say, "Hey, I've done some in esports. Yep. I did a Twitch spend. I did esports, and, and Twitch is a great opportunity for a lot of brands. Yep. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're not going to think about what is my brand's real unique value opportunity, then what is it? It's like I think, and correct me if I don't know if you saw it, but the Army National Guard just did a partnership. I think it was with NACE or it was actually Generation Esports to provide esports gaming facilities, 25 esports gaming facilities at campuses around the country and cool. colleges. Yeah. Awesome. Again, it goes back to that idea of I'm not just going after recruiting. I'm going after provide value. I'm going to directly provide value. That's going to have ripple effects of it. You found a need and that fits and our brand. That need. And that fits yep. our brand and right. it reaches the consumer I want to reach. Yep. That's who the National Guard wants to reach. They understand it. They know where to go for it. And then they said, here's the value I'm going to add. Yep. I think that's really powerful and mm-hmm. what more groups need to do, right? Yeah. Lean into those different segments because what I always tell the brand is if you came to me and you're like, hey, I want to get into sports. I want to spend in sports. I would look at you and be like, great. Yeah. I can point you in a million different directions. I can go to John Davidson's kickball team and be like, hey, sponsor them. Back-to-back champs, by the way. I'm proud of you. Yeah. Um, But in esports, it's the same issue. And then esports also has this issue of being lumped together with video game opportunities. Yeah. Right? Like even at Mission Control, where we do recreational video game leagues, mm-hmm. we usually say it that way. We don't usually say recreational esports leagues. We say recreational right. video game leagues. And, and again, I think the issue that we're seeing in this industry is that all these things are again lumped together and blurring opportunities. And it's hard to find that RI unless you're looking at it in a more specific lens. Yeah. That is built around, to your point, what is your brand's fit? What is your strategy? Like Turlax, great. And Optic, cool. We, we need someone who can speak about cars and has yeah. luxury cars and has following likes that they love cars and might follow them because they love cars. And to blur into video games and esports. Right. Optic is a great opportunity, right? That's another great example of saying, I'm not just checking a box. I'm really yeah. thinking about where's the value for my brand and where does it fit into this really large umbrella <laughs> term and equation <clears throat> Yep. That's where I think brands are going to start to really win this market or whoever it might be is when we start to think about it at a more niche level to say, what does that truly look like? And I think the hard part too is getting the data to support those opportunities as well. Yeah. I think it's a combination of a couple of things. I think one is esports, I would say, is not dishonest with the numbers, but not transparent at all. Yeah. And I think those numbers are getting better. Mm Mm-hmm. But when every number is a global number and you can't find a national number, there's a reason Yeah. in today's information age. And the other thing, which I always tell brands is 
the lack of data, which I know we'll get into, but is currently the way that you can evaluate how who you should sponsor if you're going team or league sure. is the size of the following. That's all you have to go off. And everybody's so similar. So you're like, okay, it's FaZe Clan or it's League of Legends, right? Team or league. If you have a, and now it's okay, do you have a national presence or a global presence? Like at GameStop, we just had a national presence. So we weren't looking internationally. Yeah. But if you have a global presence and you have a lot of money, you should sponsor League of Legends based on the data that's available today. Sure. Because you could say, oh, the most played, the most watched esports title. Well, my problem with that is, the challenge with brands is they're not getting an ROI out of their sponsorships. And what they come away with is esports isn't ready or esports isn't a, the right move or, or we're being sold something that is not what we were told. Sure. Now, I don't think that's the truth as much as it is you weren't able to target effectively because you could sponsor League of Legends and your target market is CSGO. Yeah. Or even Dota. And so... You, but you don't have any of that information. And then we don't have the data from the teams and the leagues who are giving that back to report. Like I've, I've seen panels on non-endemics and they're like, esports is a black hole for us as far as data goes. And at GameStop, I, w- I was trying to drive influencer stuff. I was like, we yeah. need to work with content creators and stuff. And the answer is always, we can't do that because we don't get any tracking back. We don't get any metrics back from that. Yeah. And if we can't measure it, then we can't adjust or or continue to do what we're doing because we don't know what we did. Yeah. Well, and, and part of that too is it goes back to our previous point is like you need to define ROI yep. and understand what is attainable ROI and build a partnership of that, right? Like your whole example is if I'm spending in League of Legends and I'm not targeting the right area, it's you didn't define ROI correctly yeah. to find you that opportunity. And, and even to other group at like GameStop, if it is, hey, I need tracking, Sure, that might not be the right opportunity, but can you find a new ROI that will make sense for your brand that is applicable to it? And I think Mm -hmm. the other piece of it is we're in a new digital world with Twitch, with live stream, with influencers, with engagement, that understanding what ROI is is different than the traditional means of measuring value in media. And we're constantly seeing that evolve. So you need to be a nimble brand that can say, your example of, hey, a download today doesn't mean it's not a download tomorrow. Understanding what engagement is versus following. And then the hardest part, like to your example too, at Complexity, when I first got there, we couldn't tell you what a Complexity fan looked like. We really, I could tell you what a CSGO fan looked like, to your point. I could tell you what a League of Legends fan looked like. I'd tell mm-hmm. you what an esports fan looked like in a general terms, right? Like I could guess that level, but the challenge too from teams, and I think teams have gotten a lot better of it, and we can talk about some of the barriers of it, but is... How do I understand my following? If I'm complexity, how do I tell you how I'm different than Envy down the street? How do I tell right. you that I'm different than Optic? Yeah, to your point, it just comes Especially down if to you don't numbers. have a bigger following. And it just, right, it comes down to, hey, I, we had more videos, views, or we have a larger following, or we have more engagement, but who's engaging? Or my me? star player has 2 million followers, but uh-oh, he just left. So now, right. and his fans and follow And how do him. you create that platform? But it needs to be more than that, right? Like, I want to have that first party data, like, Another interesting thing that just happened is Envy just launched their membership platform called yes. Envy Us, yep. where you can come in and, and be a fan. So you right. pay to be a fan or it's free. But the whole point behind that is first party data. I'm capturing you, one, from a fandom standpoint, and there's going to be trickle effects of, hey, 10% off your merch, and you're going to be encouraged to do things and yeah. help with ticket sales. But the real point of it is, how am I acquiring data? 
And that yeah. was our struggle with complexity too, is if I'm beheld to Twitch and Twitter and Instagram and scraping those for my data, yeah. it can only be so powerful and met, you know, the expense of them. Yes. If they change their API, the company I'm using might not have access to that data. And it might right. not be rich enough to the point I need to be as well. So what first party data can I acquire as well? So that's what gets me excited about Envy or even at Mission Control. That's what the Roker has been doing with us. They're creating yeah. fan engagement leagues. They right. own all the data. They have the data on who those individuals are so that they can get smarter about who these people are and what their actions are and then right. play them across their, their larger ecosystem. That's right. when it gets really interesting to me. And I think one of the big pieces that's missing to your point is like, just understanding true data behind that is and where does that data come from? Who's feeding us that data is always a challenge. Well, tell me a little bit about mission control because I know that you've been working on it. I obviously know a little bit about it, but I'd love our audience to know more about it. We've talked a lot about complexity, but what you're working on now, and I love it because I think when you look at the the gaming audience, the esports audience, this is a group of people who want to play as much as they like to watch, yeah. which I think is unique to traditional sports. Like I love NFL football. I'm not playing NFL. Not I'm not playing football there. for a lot of reasons, Yeah, uh, but I'm not playing football at all. Right. You know? And so there's a lot of reasons for that. Age is a factor. <laughs> Having 20 other friends, 21 other friends so I can do a team <laughs> is a factor. Count me in. But the, the, barrier century are lower for gaming, right. younger audience. You guys are enabling people who will not be pros yeah. to compete. Yeah. And it's super cool. Yeah. And before I go into it too, I think that like from a brand perspective and even the mission control perspective is it is interesting that individuals are interacting with the medium that they also want to watch and play. Like I, yeah. I challenge you like movies, music, sports, who in their 40s is actively participating in that in their late 20s in their 30s yeah and then still consuming the content on the other side so that's really where the opportunity came but to go back to like our story and how we met and finding value in our relationship shortly after that even before the naming rights and everything like that you introduced me to a group called stadia ventures yep and stadia ventures is an early stage investment fund that is focused on sports tax sport tech and esports yep they were in st louis and they opened up a second home let's call it in frisco yeah and you i think were number two that they talked to number one yep. um through mike chafin well i didn't know if mike chafin counted as number one because he's uh, theoretically here mike would tell you he counts as number two okay perfect uh, so uh, yeah the pre i think i was the i was the first guy that was dedicated frisco since mike was st louis before, perfect well i'll yeah. call myself number two dedicated frisco nice. after that because you made an introduction and it was really cool I loved working with Stadia and it, it opened up some really interesting doors. And at the time, Austin and Byron, who are the co-founders of Mission Control, were working at Stadia. So that's how I got introduced to them. Yeah. They came to me. We were sitting in a coffee shop. And like, hey, we have this idea. We want to explore the opportunity to go and build this company. What do you think of it? And it took some tweaking. They spoke to you shortly after that as well. Yeah. And I was like, I think you really have something here because I want an experience of what I get in traditional sports which yeah. was a mediocre college soccer player yep. who still liked to compete, who still wanted to play with friends, but I'm not going out for prize money. I'm not going out for bragging rights. I'm going out to have an activity to do, to be honest. Yeah. Maybe in soccer to have some physical activity, but have a social experience to gather, yep. to drink beer, to do those types of things. So we built Mission Control to be a platform that does that. We lean into organizations. So you lean into the ability to give the tools to an organization like 
uh, Frisco Parks and Rec or Dallas Parks and Rec or Duke University or MIT mm-hmm. or the Roker, as I mentioned, esports team using it yep. to build and structure play. So creating a league or creating a tournament on our platform. And then the user joins by a mobile app and they can be social and they have structure. I think that was the other thing we saw that was missing around recreational gaming, right? Like at mm. the top level at esports, the top 1% have structure. The really, sure. really good people have structure. You can yeah. get in tournaments. There's obviously professional leagues. Now there's amateur leagues. Now there's varsity leagues. But for you and I who are bottom of the barrel gamers, but want to play with friends, there's no structure. Right. Go online and I feel lost, right? Like I don't have an identity or a structure. I want to know it Monday at 7 PM. I have my rocket league match Yeah, and I can plan around that because we're That's also a in a point in our lives where we need to have some type of planning. And I yeah. know at that point too, to your example of getting 21 friends to play football, whatever yeah. the number is, I need to have them show up as well. So providing that structure has been a key part of it, but We've been in business now. The group's been in business for about two years. I've been, I'm approaching my one year mark with the team. Congratulations. Thank you. How are you, how are you celebrating? Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to let Austin Byron decide that. I'm sure they have a great surprise lined up. No uh, doubt. COVID safe. Maybe um, the hat. <laughs> yeah. Did make fun of Austin a bit because he wanted only trucker hats. And I was yeah. like, look, dad hats are in. We need dad hats. I know. I know. You're looking good. Thank you. And, but Austin's a trucker hat type of guy. So I think he's holding out on me because I push so hard against the trucker hats. Okay. So that might be why. But I don't know where, where yours is. I'll, I'll work I'll on help that one. double down on the dad hat. Okay, Neat. cool. That That's the next round that's coming. Great. Um, all startups need swag. That's the other thing you learn. 100%. Yeah, um, waste all your money on Yeah, just tons of swag. It's like Silicon yeah. Valley. You have that huge party, bring some wrappers, some swag, and you're good. Right. But it's been really great. And it's been just fun, to your point, to build a company that structures recreational gaming and that larger audience. We're not building for the top, top pros in esports. We're not doing 50, 100 million dollar prize pools. You get an intramural t-shirt if you win. And our participants are so happy to get an intramural t-shirt. And they brag about it across every channel. So it's been really special to be part of that journey and build a company too. I think that's uh, super cool. One you talk about adding value. And one of the yeah. cool things I think about our community is it doesn't have to be a ton of money. It doesn't have to be something crazy and expensive and complicated. It's about validation. Yeah. And this is a community that has been underserved from a validation standpoint and either ha- hated on or overlooked until very recently mm-hmm. when just everybody became a gamer yesterday. Yeah, And just recognizing them in ways that matter to them. And yeah, I played and I got this t-shirt or I, you know, it, and sometimes you have, and I think this is where a lot of traditional brands and sports mess up. Yeah. Is there some things that are traditional that are validating that the community loves where they see as I've arrived, I'm on the same level as the football college team or whatever, but then there's other things that resonate with traditional brands and sports that, the esports community looks at and is like, what are you doing? Yeah. It's not my vibe. Well, here's my favorite stat that we've pulled from Mission Control so far. Over 40% of our users haven't interacted with that recreational department before. So you talk about providing opportunities for individuals mm-hmm. who haven't had it, right? I'm at college. I go to Duke. I don't want to play in the basketball intramurals. But hey, right. now I have video games and video game intramurals for me. This is my opportunity. This is something that I want to get behind and want to be a part of. That's yeah. the cool opportunity for them, right? So like when we start to see those data points, 
Yeah. That's really interesting for us, but then it's also really interesting for our customers too, that you're providing this outlet, yeah. especially in a recruiting and retention field like colleges yep. and universities, they need those opportunities. They want to create community. So we're glad to be a part of that equation and that tool. Yeah, I was talking to eFuse a while back mm-hmm. on the phone and they were sharing with high school esports. I can't remember the exact percentage, but it was a super high number of kids who had never been on a team before. Yeah. And so when you just, a lot of the questions around is gaming beneficial or not, or just, I always say that the negatives of gaming are obvious yeah. because it's, you're sedentary, you're sitting down, you're in front of a screen, all the, you're maybe isolated, those things. The benefits are less obvious. Sure. And parents just know, oh, I, when I was a kid, I wasn't supposed to sit too close in front of the TV all day. It's bad if my kid is doing that on video games and who knows on the other side sure. online. But in addition to STEM and STEAM and these educational things, there's so much value from being part of a team. And even learning how to lose yeah. and to handle losses and to have opportunities at victory and even gaining friendships. And these are the things that like, this. these could save a life yep. when you're talking about kids who otherwise would be isolated and not have anybody to connect with, which is Correct. extremely powerful. And I think one of my favorite stories is we work with Special Olympics and in Special Olympics in New York, they turned to us this summer being like, hey, we're in a pandemic. Yep. We can't gather like we traditionally did. And again, we think there's athletes who can't participate in traditional sports that we offer through Special Olympics. And this is a really cool opportunity. So we create a program with them all around Rocket League. Hmm. Their athletes got involved. But the coolest piece is at the end of every match, they had to call each other. And these were individuals Hmm. who have never met before. And what Special Olympics was so happy is now they're connected. It used to be with Special Olympics because it was all physical sports. You only knew your your community, right? You knew the close by people. Now anyone in the state of New York could gather. So being able to be there and help gather these groups, but then again, to see the sportsmanship, to see Mm -hmm. that they had that value that they look for in Special Olympics, right? That's what they're all about is how do we create that benefit for these athletes? We could still provide that through esports. It was extremely validating. And I'm going to send you the video because Jacob was our superstar, rock star contestant, but just hearing him on the phone being like, we just played. That was awesome. I hope we get to meet in person. Let's yeah. play again soon. Like having that experience was just so powerful mm-hmm. that we really do see that engagement that you're talking about and yeah. this opportunity. And again, it's about community. I think one of the hardest things in video games or in esports, wherever it is, is like the lack of identity and community. Yeah. I'm all for the idea like, hey, I've got my gamer tag and a different name and things like that, but I still want to have an association. Yeah. If you and I were to get into Call of Duty and play Warzone right now, there's no I, there's no community that we're built into. Sure, the larger game, but now we're hundreds of thousands of millions of people in. Sure. So what this does is it helps build that sense of community yeah. that gives people an identity and purpose and support, which I think is important. There's also a secondary benefit for parents there because oh, yeah. when you look at, number one, parents with special needs, you have to build a community. It can. I have a cousin who has special needs and my aunt is very isolated because she's taking care of him all the time yeah and she she can't get out and about and so to and also just special needs or not if you have a child who's not in traditional athletics and communities to oh my god i have a five-year-old son and that's like a love i've never experienced before and so when he's happy i'm overjoyed yeah and so i think that's cool one thing i want to touch on too before we get into what's ahead which we touched on a little with data but is you've had a unique experience. You've worked with a league at ESL yeah. and then a team at Complexity. I'm curious, just for our listeners, 
what are the challenges there on the different the different platforms there? What are what, what was it like just going from league to team and now you're doing a platform? Yeah. But tell me a little bit about that. Well, it's interesting, right? And and it the ecosystem is so wide as we talked about, and it's designed in different ways with open and closed ecosystems within esports. Yes. So open meaning the publisher will let anyone run leagues and you and I can start a tournament or close versus like Riot Games and League of Legends where it's their rules, their production, yeah. they're running it. Totally. And ESL is an interesting one where we're an open ecosystem. So mainly where it's in CSGO and Dota or when a publisher would give us the rights to a game like going back to talks, we worked with Halo. And it was really cool because what you're building there is a different experience than traditional sports. Like mm-hmm. when I first got into esports, it was because I saw an event, right? Like we've yes. mentioned this type of story multiple times already, but I saw an yeah. event and I saw this active crowd that was engaged the whole time and oh, excited incredible. the whole time. Like you go to <laughs> an NBA game and there's some there's some ups and some downs, but you'll yeah. walk around, you'll get a beer, you'll hang out, you'll talk to the person next to you. I'm a great people watcher. That's why you go to those games sometimes. But like when you go to an esports event, they're just looking straight up like the whole time engaged and the excitement's every call it 30, 45 seconds. There's those yeah. wow moments constantly. And yes. then you'll get your breaks and you can walk around and get your beer and do what, things. What I take away from that, which is even more amazing, mm-hmm. is the fact that you've got young people who are yeah. glued to their phones, which we're all glued to our phones nowadays, but young people even more. Yeah. And the fact that these people... Now, when there's a break in the action, oh, the phones, phones are, are absolutely right. But these are long periods of time. 100% They're engaged. engaged. It's incredible. Yeah. So you, you felt that energy at these events, which was awesome, right? Yeah. We used to think of it more of almost a festival. And we wanted to build it like a festival because we'll talk about some of the pros and cons, but you wanted to come and be a part of this event. And you wanted to know that every year that event was there. And one of the things we could rely on is we were going to get the best talent no matter what. It was a championship. It's going to be the best talent. You're not yeah. always going to get the biggest influencers, but there's a good shot you'll get most of them. Sure. Or the most of the best talent. There's And an underdog story is great too. Who doesn't love that? Of course. So you could lean into that. The hard part is you don't own that talent, their rights, or any of those pieces of it. So if you go to an event, there's also not a huge value add currently mm-hmm. versus watching at home. Yes. At a consistent level. If it's if it's once a year, yeah. if it's sporadic, even more than that, like sure, I'm gonna Completely come in, different. I'm gonna watch it because now I have a reason to get out, see my friends, gather and do this stuff. If you're thinking like Overwatch League or CDL or something like that, where it's like every weekend, what is oh, that yeah. value? The value really becomes a lot of times the players and the influencers. Mm-hmm. I want to meet these people. I want to get an autograph. Like the thing that blew my mind at ESL events was our longest lines by far were for autographs. People mm. like we talked about how engaged they were in watching the matches. They would stand in line for hours waiting for the team they wanted. And sometimes it would yeah. wrap around a whole arena's concourse waiting for whoever that team or player might be. And that was just amazing to me. And at that point, that's when I made the move to complexity, plus the ability to build it with traditional sports and the foundation of the Cowboys, but understanding the power of influencers. So on the team side, we had the ability to leverage those individuals. So when Mm -hmm. we did a deal like GameStop, our players couldn't go out and do a Target deal. They couldn't do a Walmart deal. They had to participate in that. In traditional sports, it's not the same. On the league side, it wasn't the same. So we couldn't limit some of those factors. But on the team side, we really had control because that's the majority of your assets as a team. You're a digital group that's building your assets around influencers and content. 
Yep. Um, for the more majority of it, there's a lot of really smart orgs that obviously diversify and, and build other types of opportunities, right? Like a hundred thieves as a brand and a lifestyle brand and clothing, like sure. doing it. But a lot of, if you look at sponsorships, which is still driving a majority of revenue yes. is built around content and influencers, yep. which is the opportunity again at a team. The issue is someone leaves. Okay. There goes that influencer that content whatever you might be building around them and you're at the mercy of performance base right so the challenge of a team is diversifying yourself to be as good off the field hmm. and create a balanced revenue stream from that as you are on the field yeah right if you look at traditional sports dallas cowboys because we're here is a great example they made the playoffs, I think, for the first time last year in 15 years, right? Like some crazy right. number like that. Right. Like they haven't been dominant, but they've created this brand. It's they've incredible. created AT&T Stadium. They have the cheerleaders. They've constantly evolved and created value that mm -hmm. they can leverage and monetize. And that's where esports teams are getting smarter. But yeah. then at the same time, you're a team. So if you go back to open versus closed, if you're in an open ecosystem, you have to be invited or qualified. So there's no right. regularity of even if you're going to be on a stage, if you're going to have those impressions, if you can yeah. build content around it. If you're in a closed Overwatch League, CDL, Riot League Legends, now there's more limitations on what you can do. Yeah, You can't sell certain sponsorships. You can't maybe, if it's like Activision, you can't go against some of the brands that they've brought in from a league side. Now you get some upside from that and some revenue, but you can't monetize some of the ways that you might want to do that way. So there's always these pros and cons of one, the league's pulling one way and the team's pulling the other. And they both have value. Yeah. And for brands, they both have value. But yeah. it is a complicated ecosystem, again, to figure out what's the right strategy amongst both. Yeah, I have much more experience with teams than yeah. with leagues, as you point out during our <laughs> frequent conversations. What And there's tough things there, because I think it's, it's similar to traditional sports, where you have some which are, their brand is winning. Yeah. And you live and die by winning. Because you might go through a time where you don't win, and then what's your brand? Yeah, you know. But, I, but here's some. I'm gonna challenge you. Okay. Tell me a sports team that lives and dies by winning. I'd say the Patriots. Do you really think that though? Because I, I think you're you're looking at a bubble, right? Okay. Because they've dominated for the past few years. Yes. So I don't know their how value has skyrocketed. During the time that they've been winning. Winning helps. No one's going to... Winning will right. help. Like, even if you go back to the Cowboys, the Emmett Smith days, the amazing trade, like, that took them to the next level. Yes. And now there was other things that Jerry did that were so innovative, like the Nike partnership and some of these other yeah. things that they've done that really built out other more robust pieces of their business. Yeah. Well, he's... They were, do not live and die by winning. Right. They li they've got the brand beyond... Winning. And I'd argue that yeah. most traditional sports teams, again, winning might have gotten them to there. Yep. But have built a solid foundation or a brand beyond that. Cowboys, Yankees, Lakers, Celtics. And again, you're also in large mm -hmm. metros, which is helpful too. My Knicks. Your Knicks? We're you're a so Knicks fan? Bad. Oh no. I've never so I've never experienced a playoff win. I, I yeah. don't think. There might have been one. Yeah. Right? Not in like my real cognizant memory, like earlier Patrick Ewan days, Alan Houston, maybe. But maybe it's been painful, but they're still valued at such a high valuation. But again, because well, they're in New York, you know? they're in New York again. So, so yeah. I meant those main metros, but also they had a, a winning era. They were relevant from a winning standpoint. In the 80s, yes. And it makes up for some of the points as we are now. 
Again, there's other lifestyles, mm-hmm. there's other brand things, but even you would think like the Brooklyn Nets coming in to the market yep. would really hurt them. Valuation's still gone up. Fan base has still gone up. All mm-hmm. these things still gone up and they're trash and have yeah. a horrible ownership group, all those things. So Absolutely. my question to you is like, where do you find a sports team? And it might be a, it might be a new situation, right? I don't know. The Warriors are an interesting one to me. They're not all built around winning, but they've seen the, the most recent benefits of winning for sure. Yeah. I I know a couple of people at the Golden State Warriors and I would have to check with them on how their sponsorships have risen. Sure. But I also know people at the Cleveland Cavaliers and holy crap, the times LeBron was there and the times he wasn't. That's fair. And that's actually probably the perfect example because that doesn't have the additional support of a large city. Yeah. But I would argue their sponsorship didn't go up because LeBron was going to win a championship or if he had won a championship. Well, it was, it, it went was, up they were because on of LeBron. Yes. He was on, they were on TV. Every Which night. isn't winning, right? That goes back to more of the esports model of like, but LeBron that's also, if LeBron wasn't winning. Yes. If he wasn't going to finals every single year. Fair then there would not be the attraction around his personal brand either. Totally. So I think it is pretty close to the the winning loss. Agreed. I would also say that when you look at esports, not as mature as traditional sports, Yeah, is that I, I would say you probably have teams that are more hinged on winning and losing than traditional sports because they're not building the brand around the winning necessarily. Or have some of the other barriers and moats. Right. right. Like the idea that people understand that the NFL has different value than the NBA. Yes. So even if there's multiple teams in a market, it doesn't matter. It matters to some extent. There's always an overlap. They're always competing for some dollars, but there's different unique value propositions or that you're regionally located, which is necessary in traditional sports, not necessary in esports. Yeah. Your point, Knicks are in New York. Right. They're in New York. There's a value there that they can lean into yep. that we don't have in esports. And what I what I think is really compelling, and everybody has their different positioning and competitive advantage. Yeah. And what I love is like what Hep, what Hector built at Optic, and he told me we the first time we had lunch together, he gave me like the background of what he did, and yeah. it's super interesting because he was telling me how they started like the scrubs not winning. Yeah. And he said what I understood because he he had his own YouTube channel playing COD, and he quit his office job to pursue that which is pretty crazy yeah. back in the day but he said he said what i understood was if people loved me and my team the per- if they knew our personalities yeah and they followed us then even if we weren't winning we'd have the fans and and obviously you have to know content and i think hector just knows what works from a content sure. perspective but so what happened was they did have the fans and then they got sponsors and then they got money Right. And then they had the championship too because they had the players to back it. And then you had everything. And then there was the infinite deal. But, and it's super cool he has it back now. I'm super excited to see yeah. what he does with the brand again. But I I just love that side of, I, I love building a brand much more than we hope we win. Yeah. Because you will you might win or you might not. And if if that's all you're built on, yeah, it's, it's a house of cards. Agreed. You're you're not going to be successful, and that's why again, I challenge you to say what traditional sports team is built around winning and losing. Like even again, the Cavs. I'm still going t- with the Cavs. I think that's a great example. Their brand isn't built around winning and losing. It was no, 
it did better because they won. No one's going to argue that you don't do better because you win. Yes, of course. Yeah. But there's no brand, again, that I think is truly built around winning and losing. I would say the reverse example to support the other side of the coin is absolutely the Cowboys. The fact that people think they're going to win everywhere every year is amazing. Yeah. And what's also amazing is that Jerry, from what I understand, Jerry's the only person who, the only owner who personally owns the rights to his logo. Because when he bought the Cowboys, he sued the NFL for those rights. And so what's amazing is if you want to be in the NFL and that category is taken, you could do a deal with the Cowboys and get in the NFL. Yeah. And it's going to cost you a premium. Of course, that's why Miller Lite is in the NFL because they sponsored the Cowboys. Bud Light is the sponsor of the NFL. And when they did those cans uh, a couple of years ago, where it was every NFL team, there was not a Cowboys star on one of this because it's a Miller Lite partner. And so I, I just... I go back to that side of the coin much more to say if you build the brand, it doesn't really matter if you're winning or losing. Agreed. And that's what you need to do. Because again, I don't think, and the whole point is you're making is you don't survive unless you've created these other value pieces to it. Yep. Well, since I crushed you in that debate, time to move on quick. We can cut that out, right? (laughs) The whole exchange. No, I love the I love your knowledge on that stuff. Tell me one last thing, which is what do you see as what is the next big thing that people listening to this need to know about? Yeah, if if we go back into and we hit on it a little bit, we go back to esports and video games. My whole position, and I think most people's position, is like it's not going anywhere. Sure. The engagement is only increasing. Agreed. Seventy five percent of households have at least one gamer in it. Yep. We are now hitting the first generation of true like gamer dads, meaning right. a generation who or moms who grew up with video games in their household that now have kids. Yes. And there's a point of bonding and connecting there. So I, I just yeah. see this continuous explosion of what video games can do. The other yep. interesting piece of that is like the metaverse kind of argument of what Fortnite's doing. Roblox just announced a Travis or not Travis Scott, a little NOS concert. Like understanding what that can look like, understand what AR can do. But what that all means is we need to think about how we interact with these mediums and to our earlier conversation, like where that value is. Yeah. Understanding what an individual finds is value. I mm-hmm. don't think it's no longer impressions or even engagement, mm-hmm. but understanding what are those deeper levels of value. Yeah. Do I offer recreational video games at my college? And why do I do it? And what is that opportunity? And where's that value back to the user? Mm -hmm. And then even like the way that content's changed, right? Like understanding how you find value in that content, how people interact with it, where they're watching it. So I think we just get smarter about consumption and engagement around video games and then the ancillary opportunities around it. Mm -hmm. And then it all, as we've mentioned, comes back to data. Yes. Better understanding of how that all works, how it comes together. Mm -hmm. What is the opportunity for data within that, I think is really the unique kind of piece of it. And I think COVID has actually advanced this greatly. Agreed. Because as you, I think I see a huge lift across everything in the experiential marketing. Yeah. Because my friends at agencies always tell me brands are always going for what's safe. Yeah. And so they, they like what they've done before. And if you're a CMO or you're a director, your job may hinge on the results of what you gave a ton of money to. And agencies, to their credit, are always trying to push the new cool thing because they yeah. want to do cool work. And and the brand's response greatly is, nah, we're good. And so experiential 
and digital marketing has always been seen as an add-on that's not needed because we've always sure. done it this way and it's worked. Well, you've been forced to try this stuff. And even if you've just held your dollars, there's a good chance your competitor yeah. has done it. And now case studies are being created. I always say it's easier to sell a case study than an idea. To totally. say, hey, believe me, this will be great versus this is what happened. These are the results. Oh, there's benefits I didn't even realize. Oh, I can remarket to my customer, et cetera. Yeah. And I think too, I've had lots of discussions even today about platforms that are providing data that otherwise with, with teams, teams are locked out of this yeah. publisher area that, and publishers don't need to make money in esports. They're making plenty of money around it. Yeah. And then teams are stuck in this ecosystem that's not really making money right now. And if platforms can give them the data they need to bring totally. in sponsors, but also build out new monetization opportunities, new revenue streams, that's where it's at. Well, the hard part too is, right? Like predictability is easy and safe. Yes. So your point of I'm going to continue to do what I did is because I can quickly understand how I scale if things are predictable. Yep. And I can protect this company, right? Like I'm not yeah. going to lose my job. I can be successful. I can show the model. I can show how to be predictable. Yes. Like building that predictable revenue is a key to a lot of growth for a lot of companies. Yep. And the hard thing about esports and video games, it's not predictable. Mm. Fortnite pops out of nowhere. Among Us pops out of nowhere. New Absolutely. streamers pop out of nowhere. New streamers yep. leave. New platforms like a TikTok pops out of nowhere. Or maybe as much you have to have your like, finger on the pulse of what's going on. To correct, and be able to adjust. And when you do that, you don't have the predictability of something like TV that's been around for however many years and you've spent for how many years on it. So losing that idea of predictability makes it really challenging mm -hmm. for marketers or organizations or whoever to really dig into esports and video games. And I think if you can find an opportunity that is predictable... yeah. <clears throat> like mission control, how can Drop you, something. yeah, how can you lean into what that looks like? Yeah. And that's a big part even to think about mission control and what we're doing is we want to have a platform that's agnostic to those changes mm -hmm. and that can adjust to any other changes, right? Yeah. So a new game pops up, we can add it in a week. The new cool. Xbox new PlayStation comes out, it's already on our platform, yep. right? But at the end of it, the core predictability of how the actual software works, how the leagues are structured, how you market it, how you do those things is the same. Right. So we can create a solution that gets rid of some of that volatility and creates more predictable programming for esports. Like, yep. I think those are the opportunities for certain brands. And that's why I think a lot of groups have leaned into something like Twitch. Because it's right. predictable. Like I yep. can just be across a larger platform. Yep. But I Numbers. do think yep. that one of the larger opportunities, to your point, is to create a case study, mm -hmm. to lean into the unpredictability of video games and esports mm -hmm. and be able to be a nimble brand. And not for all brands or companies or whoever. It doesn't have to be brand. That's not always the easiest. Yep. But the ones who can will win the majority of the times, at least in, in this field. Love it. Yeah. Well, thank you for being on the podcast. I think this one is probably more packed full of esports insights than <laughs> anything else. So, so you told me to say. Yeah. I, yeah, I did write down everything that you stated. Perfect. So you're welcome. I appreciate that. But no, this has been awesome. I think this is going to be a great value add to everybody who listens. So thanks again for joining again, us. Of course, my pleasure. Thanks, John. Thank you for listening to the DLC Drop Podcast. This podcast is part of the Esports Futuri Podcast Network, 
and produced by Innovation Media Enterprises. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast channel and leave us a review. 